Amazon Books, your weekly program about great reads through book talks, trailers, and first chapters. Presented by Mrs. Winningham and Mrs. Kovach. Hi, this is Mrs. Kovach. Today I'll be reading Claim to Fame by Margaret Peterson Haddix. Chapter one. I was supposed to be doing my algebra homework that night. No one ever tells you, do your algebra and it'll keep you safe. It will protect you from being kidnapped. Nobody ever says that, but in my case, that night, it might've been true. I didn't do my algebra homework. I should have. I made a promise to my dad after all. It was such a nice spring night, the first evening since October that it had any warmth in it. It was one of those nights where you can almost feel the seasons changing, when you begin to hope that you're done with the bitter cold and dead earth and harsh winter winds. It'd just be wrong to use a night like that for algebra homework. So instead of picking up my pencil and solving for X, I climbed out my bedroom window and sat on my balcony. My arms wrapped around my legs, my back against the wall, and my chin perched on my knees. Then it happened. One minute, I was just sitting there, staring blankly out at our tree's empty branches and at the empty sidewalk in the gap between students passing by. And the next moment, strong arms were scooping me up and a voice was hissing, shh, shh, don't make a sound. I could have screamed. I had time before the hand clamped over my mouth, before I was hustled down the stairs, before my mind clouded over with panic and, and other voices. But I dare you, you try, if you ever are kidnapped, to do the exact right thing at the exact right time. You try it in regular, regular life when you might have all the time in the world to think about a plan. Sometimes you just make mistakes. I didn't scream. I let my body go limp, which probably made it easier to stuff me into the car waiting in the alley. Put her in the back. I'll drive. Yes, there, hurry. I couldn't be sure I was really hearing them conversing or conspiring. Whatever, there was so much echoing in my head, so many other conversations distracting me. That poor girl, do you think she's gonna be all right? Anything else we could do to help? I thought this essay and those bangs, can you believe that hair? You know, the youngest. I could have said what was, I couldn't have said what was real and immediate right there before my ears and what was the dim and distant and not exactly relevant at the moment. Then the hand came off my mouth and someone was pushing my face towards a cracked vinyl seat, pushing rather gently, actually for a kidnapper. Sorry, a voice said, you're gonna have to keep your head down till we're out of town. The hand slipped back over my mouth. The car lurched forward, but slowly like it was barely creeping through the gravel alley. I could tell when we reached the pavement at the corner of Vine Street because the car whipped dramatically to the right and sped up on screeching tires. Careful, the voice called beside me. Remember, Springdale's a speed trap. This struck me as funny. Kidnappers worrying about a speeding ticket, but the car slowed slightly. Nobody's following us, are they? The driver asked. From my position, with my face smashed against the vinyl, I could tell the boy holding my mouth shut had turned around to look out the rear window. Boy, I thought in a daze, it's two, it's two boys kidnapping me. I felt strangely proud that I could think my own thoughts despite all the other noise and voices I heard in my head. Despite being kidnapped, the car slowed because of the traffic light at the corner of Vine and Liberty. I guess, and then it veered left. No, that's the way they expect us to go. The boy beside me exploded. Okay, okay, let me think. Go out 643. The car made a U-turn. 
with more screeching tires and a little wobble that made me wonder if the whole thing might just flip over. I hadn't been in a car in a while, but I did remember the seatbelts and I wanted a seatbelt. Maybe if I asked nicely, if I promised to keep crouching down, the kidnappers would let me wear one. Just then the boy holding on to me let go. Yee-haw, he yelled. We did it. I turned my head slightly and opened an eyelid a crack. I had just then realized I had both eyes squeezed tightly shut. The boy was pumping his fists in the air, cheering like some sort of pep section at the Springdale College football games. Except this boy looked too young to be in college. He was thin the way a lot of teenagers are when they've grown so quickly they can't eat enough to keep up. He had chin-length brown hair that was a little bit straggly. His ears stuck out at the sides, but he had a kind face. I say that even though he just kidnapped me. You could just look at him and know that he, he never had kicked a dog or probably never even killed a fly. Are you all right? The boy asked. You can sit up now. It's safe. We're out of Springdale. You're free. We rescued you. He beamed at me with a smile like an angel in an art book. Where would you like us to take you? The boy in the driver's seat asked from the front. I've got my cell phone. Is there anyone you want to call? Granted, I'd never been kidnapped before, but it struck me that these that those probably weren't the typical kidnapper questions. I would have answered, except one of the voices in my head said just then, oh, I hate this one. That little girl is such a brat. Here, the boy said beside me, lifting my head from my seat. He, he did it too quickly, given that my face had been plastered there for so long. I moaned with pain as the skin was as if my skin was peeling away when it left it off the vinyl. Oh, no, the boy said, are you all right? I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm so sorry. Really, there, there's no reason to be scared. Do you, do you want something to drink? We've got some cans of Pepsi somewhere. He was lifting my shoulders, propping me up as he scanned the floor for the promised Pepsis. Darnell, I, I think she's in shock. She's just... The car eased over to the side of the road, rolling onto the gravel. We were out in the country now. Springdale's small enough that when you're in the country, after about 10 minutes, that any direction of driving. The driver had very responsibly switched on his flashing emergency lights so anyone driving past could avoid hitting us. Some small, overly analytical part of my brain thought, look... Guys, if you're going to try to make a go at being kidnappers, you really shouldn't be drawing attention to yourselves like that. But no one was driving by. No headlights swept into the car, not even from the far end of the road. Oh no, we did scare you, didn't we? The driver said, turning around to face me in the scant reflective glow of the emergency lights. I could see only that his hair was shaggy as his friend's, but it was blonder. Look, we're on your side. We just wanted to save you from your father. My father, I choked out. The word stuck in my throat. It was difficult to say. Well, yeah, the boy said, we know who you are. We know all about you. I let that pass, even though it couldn't be true. Look, the driver said, picking up something from beside him on the seat. He passed a newspaper clipping. No, not exactly a newspaper clipping, a tabloid clipping. He, he turned on the car's overhead light, making us even more apparent to people driving by and shook out the wrinkles in the paper. And then he handed it to me. I looked down, forcing my eyes to read. The headline said, Former Child Star Held Hostage by Fanatic Dad. Down below, there was smaller type, not even allowed to watch TV. I blinked, my vision swinging in out of focus. I reminded myself that I'd known how to read perfectly well since I was four, so it shouldn't be that much of a struggle to go on and keep reading. I gulped and I launched myself into the article. Everyone knows that Lindsay Scott former child star of the TV hit series, Just Me and the Kids, vanished from Hollywood five years ago when Kids was canceled. 
Now our crack investigation team has discovered that the blame lies with her fanatical father, a failed college professor with bizarre ideas about the evils of the modern world. Failed, I thought. Failed? I winced and gasped for air and went on. Poor Lindsay is now virtually a prisoner in her home, rarely leaving the tiny house and then only under the supervision of her father. You've got to wonder about that family, said one neighbor who was completely unaware of Lindsay's true identity. I've lived here two years before I knew there was even a daughter. The first time I saw her face in the window, I thought it was a ghost. Lindsay's father, Arthur Scott Curran, has taught literature history and American studies at several colleges around the country. He has published numerous essays longing for a return to simpler days and less obsession with technology rather than face-to-face -face human interaction, which is strange given that he barely allows his famous daughter to see anyone face-to-face. Her father, said Daniel Delure, who directed Lindsay and Just Me and the Kids, he was an odd bird, only met him once or twice. Whatever the opposite of a stage parent is, that's him. He was never on the set. Experts theorize that sometime parents of famous children become jealous and even attempt to punish their children for their success. Corinne's unusual views make some wonder why he's allowed his daughter to work in Hollywood in the first place. His essays complain, amongst other things, that the, the TV, internet, cell phone plans, the interstate highway system, and bikinis um, are all, all horrible things in our society. Ironically, given his daughter's career, he once wrote, I would never allow a television in my home. The connection between Corinne's obscure writings and his famous daughter have gone unnoticed all these years because she never used her father's name professionally. There was one more, mainly a recap of Lindsay Scott's acting career and some more famous moments of just me and the kids, I guess, but my eyes were suddenly too blurry to read on. No, I thought sternly, you will not cry. You will not cry. I forced my mind into analytical mode. Literary criticism, I told myself, you will, not, you will analyze this article for a theme. Anyone would be able to tell that this article came from a tabloid rather, ra rather than a reputable newspaper because there was no mention of the actual location for Lindsay Scott's tiny house. And both the neighbor and the experts were unnamed. And American Studies was in quotation marks as if it were some sort of dangerous suspect. Well, the boy beside me said as if he were sure I had enough time to digest the entire article. That's you, isn't it? He sounded anxious, uncertain suddenly. If I had just said no... Would he turn around and take me home? But the other boy answered for me, Toby, of course that's her. That's her house. And for the first time, I noticed that there were two pictures with the article. They were both blurry and black and white and poorly reproduced. But one of the pictures was definitely my house.